Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, January 1st, 2024. Happy New Year, everyone. On the show today, news, surveys, and in listener questions, who would pay the outrageous sum of $5 for dinner? Then in our main segment, Jim gives us the history of Shrunken Ned's Junior Jungle Boats in Adventureland. Let's get started by bringing in the man who wishes monster truck meant the same thing as clown car. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len. And, and by the way, for you monster truck fans, we are actually coming up on a significant anniversary. Uh, the first real uh, monster truck, Bigfoot, uh, made its debut in 1979. Uh, Bob Chandler uh, started with, I want to say it was a 1974 Ford F-250. And he started actually in 1975 and and kept tinkering and tinkering and, and eventually decided, you know what this car needs or this truck needs is 48-inch tires. And, you know, uh, that's how the first monster truck Bigfoot was born. I mean, I imagine the 48-inch tires have to be specialty things for like bulldozers or something, right? Or some sort of like construction equipment? I, again, to be honest, Len, for me... What has always fascinated me about the monster truck is, again, it's all big on, uh, you know, the, the the outside. But then when you get inside and the fact that, you know, well, this thing might roll over, so let's put it in a roll cage. You know, it, it's kind of uh, the reverse of the TARDIS from Doctor Who. It's, it's like big on the outside, tiny on the inside. inside yeah. And isn't yeah, the, uh, so. doesn't the driver sit in the middle? As opposed oh, to like yeah. the right or the left. Yeah, because for, again, for safety reasons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just again, coming up on an anniversary. So, you know, go out and crush a small car in its <laughs> honor. So. I'm headed to Disney Springs when we're done here. I, I, I might do that anyway. We'll see. <laughs> there right. we go. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Thanks to Easily Reachable Impossible Conclusion, Jeff Kelly, Alicia McCollin, Scott Workman, Joshua Ware, J. Dark Green, John Clendel, and Phantom 23. Jim, these are the seasonal Imperial Stormtroopers working on the First Order's Star Destroyer orbiting Batu. They say everyone looks forward to today when Lieutenant Beck and Kylo Ren take over the Star Destroyer kitchen to make Hop and John like an old married couple, while General Hux makes chips and dips for the football games. True story. Speaking of tiny, that galley. <laughs> tiny, very okay. small. Th yeah. There we go. All right, a quick reminder, uh, Jim, our friend Bono might think nothing changes on New Year's Day. But in this case, it has. We've moved the show exclusively to Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash jimhillmedia. And don't forget to close down your Bandcamp subscriptions after that. All right, on to the news. The news is sponsored by Touring Plans. Touring Plans helps you save time and money at theme parks like Walt Disney World. Check us out at touringplans.com. All right, Jim, some quick news. Over the holidays, Genie Plus sold out at Hollywood Studios mm -hmm. at the new $37 per person level. And that's the first time... That's happened. That tells you how many bodies are on property. More to the point, how many people really want to get on Rise. And uh, speaking of Rise, uh, uh, individual lightning lane sold out today, the day that we're recording this, in 23 minutes. Okay. And then the ride went out. <laughs> oh, no, I was about to ask. And seriously, again, putting on your Turing Plants hat, how many hours per day on average? Two hours a day work? on average. Yeah, just under two hours a day on average. Yeah. Oh. Amazing stuff. A bit of good news, though, uh, in the parks. So I've been, you know, running around the parks all week. Uh, last month, we mentioned that Disney had banned third-party tours inside the parks. And in the same article, and this was a Business Insider article, they quoted a Disney spokesperson who said the DAS abuse had seen an uptick. And I mentioned this because it looks like that during the holidays, 
Disney started checking DAS use a bit more closely to ensure that the person who booked the DAS was actually going in the group to ride. Ooh. And I and I say this, I think this is what's going on because I saw several groups turned away from using the lightning lane when they couldn't show the cast member at the lightning lane that the person with the DAS was actually in the group. So at the studios, for example, I saw a group of uh, all young men get turned away from the lightning lane when none of them answered to the name Kaylee that popped up on the magic basket. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> kind of kind of a kind of a giveaway. Anyway, but I uh in in asking around to, you know, some of our friends at work, uh, apparently um uh making sure that the person who has the daz is in the group is a uh, is a point of emphasis, if you will, okay. this holiday season. Yeah. So so that's good. That's an interesting workaround for daz. I mean, you know, that the you know, using that as the filter as opposed to well, you know, what exactly are are we talking about for your disability? So right. that that's clever. That's clever. Yeah. Right. So pretty smart. So we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So we're so we're continuing to count how many people are using the mm-hmm. uh, the lightning lanes uh, and trying to figure out whether the um, the light is turning green or blue, so we can kind of differentiate the two groups that are using the lightning lane. We'll see. We should have more information in a little bit. Anyway. Okay. Poor Chrissy. Is she sitting there doing this? Or <laughs> she is. Gonna... We have a, oh. we have a few people in a few parks doing it simultaneously. So yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. And it is raining today, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. All right, on to uh, on to surveys. Uh, Jeff sent in a holiday-themed survey that I don't think we've seen before, and this one is for Epcot's Festival of the Holidays. Uh, and mm-hmm. Jim, I want to get your input here on mm-hmm. why Disney may be asking these questions. So the first question is, is, did you notice any holiday elements such as decorations, holiday-themed attractions, or holiday-themed entertainment during your recent visit to Epcot on a particular day? You know, the answer is yes <laughs> or no. I don't know what happens if you if you answer no. I guess it's a very short survey at that point. Yeah, <laughs> you know, follow up question. Hey, what exactly is your your prescription? All right, yeah, exactly. and did, what, did you what bring your dog you with you into the park? You know, like, <laughs> well, yeah. Did your seeing eye dog happen to notice any There we go. So, so uh, Jeff answered yes, and then uh, the survey asked for ratings for things like holiday decor, holiday dressed characters, shopping and merch, entertainment and food and bev, but then it got very specific and asked for ratings on things like, what did you think of the Odyssey Pavilion where you found Santa and food? What did you think of Candlelight Processional? And then they gave the specific Candlelight Processional narrator. I didn't know that they were actually doing surveys with Candlelight Processional narrators before, but they were even asking for things like, did you did you try the kids' chalk art? What did you think of that? What about the art in performance, you know, the live entertainment? The attraction overlay for living with the land, Olaf's scavenger hunt, the holiday storytellers. And then they asked if you use the printed festival passport booklet. And I understand the last one because if no one's using it, they don't have to print them, which saves money, right? Yep. What is intriguing about this list? And and remember, we have only just this month had the construction walls come down around Dreamers Point and gotten to see the the new lighting package. Oh, right. You know, you have to remember that that Disney always works on a calendar that is months ahead of time. You know, even as we speak, they are two months into preparation already for the holiday season of 2024. And, and you know, if, if you're somebody at Epcot who's prepping your first ever holiday decorative package for this brand new area, 
it's a notion of, okay, so what did people pay attention to elsewhere in the park? What got a strong reaction? What did not get it? Right, because this was like, at this point, we're like all, all but one week left in the holiday period. So they have a oh, decent yeah. idea of what mm-hmm. people like. Oh, yeah, so they're, they're probably per, uh, planning for, uh, for next year. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, just going to be uh, intriguing to see this time next year, you know, what we're doing down in, uh, you know, that part of the park. And, you know, there's an effect of, you know, that, that Santa hat on Walt, not a Santa hat on Walt. What are, what are we doing here? So, you know. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't run by uh, Epcot since the walls uh, were down. I'm going to do that uh, Do that shortly and then we'll, we'll talk okay. about it also you mentioned uh, a bunch of stuff debuting uh mm-hmm. remind me to talk about the uh surveys results we're getting for luminous a symphony of us all right mm-hmm. okay cool, cool. all right on to a listener questions our friend sean sent in a copy of the blue bayou restaurant menu from 1977 jim and this is a look back mm-hmm. in time the blue bayou soup du jour i don't know what it is but they serve it every day was 50 cents and a cup of New Orleans clam chowder was 65 cents for a cup. Or if you wanted a bowl, Jim, a whopping 95 cents. When Sean shared this, it's the prices that kind of hit you right in the face. You know, just yeah. sort of like, wow. Um, that said, though, if we compare $1977 to $2023, mm-hmm. a dollar then or is the equivalent of $5.07 today. All right, so we so, multiply. Let's 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 make the math easy and multiply by five. So that means our four dollar chicken dinner becomes a twenty dollar chicken dinner. It this is the boneless chicken leg stuffed with rice and ham, topped with a Chablis sauce of baby shrimp and mushrooms, served with mashed potatoes and vegetable for twenty dollars, Jim, all day long. Yeah, yeah, okay. Or God uh, forbid, Jim, we we get the uh, the veal cordon bleu for four dollars and thirty five cents, which would be what twenty twenty two dollars, call it. Uh, and it's it's nice to know that uh in the the fine print at the bottom all entries Mm -hmm. are served with roll and butter but the uh did you see the desserts Uh oh yes (laughs) louisiana pecan pie what do you think the price is uh, 75 cents. 75 cents. Yeah. And, uh, and Cheesecake Supreme with strawberries, again, set just 75 cents. I now mean, if, you, if you wanted the Boston cream pie, you needed to save some money. It was 70 yeah. cents. Or the seasonal fruit for 65. Mm-hmm. Ugh, but, amazing. But the this is stuff, though, that we're not, we're, we just don't see anymore. So like for hors d'oeuvres, mm-hmm. a Supreme of seasonal fruit grenadine. It's 85 cents. I don't know what it is, but I think it involves clear jello. It has to, right? <laughs> yes, yes. You know, that, 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 you know, that some sort of hoof based, you know, the, the Andre. So, oy, yeah. food was just different. That this, the salad mignon, a papaya mm-hmm. filled with tiny shrimp and garnished with tomato, cucumber, hard boiled egg, and artichokes with blue bio dressing. I need to talk to someone who ate this. I don't, what, I don't even, it, it it sounds unusual. Like, okay, first you get a papaya, then you fill it with shrimp. Like, where are you going with that? Like, what, <laughs> what, what? Uh, uh. you know, and, and the irony, the, the supreme irony here is nobody really ate at the Blue Bayou for the food. They ate there for the view. They right. ate there for the atmosphere. Yeah. You know, they they watch people float by on their way to the waterfall and the talking, you know, skull. Uh, right. You know, I mean that that was the charm and the thrill of, of eating in this particular eatery. But 
but those prices, oh my God. So uh, yeah, uh, Sean, uh, Sean sent in this, uh, this bit of imagined dialogue and it's the, uh, he, he says, uh, I'll have the veal cord in blue. And then the waiter says, sir, you realize that will cost you $4 and 35 cents. Perhaps you would like the chicken. <laughs> fantastic fantastic mm, All right. yeah. also in uh, listener questions uh, a bunch of folks wrote in to correct our naming of the holiday themed park in Indiana it's holiday world not holiday land and Jim that I think that explains the coal in our stockings this year yeah, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Mr. Claus is unforgiving but on the other hand again we have to get out to this place to fortune or to ride the good gravy coaster I'm all about it. Let's do it. How many times in life do you get to ride in a gravy boat without involving several alcoholic beverages? Exactly. So, you know, exactly. So, so. <laughs> all right. A uh, question from Laurel who asks, uh, who says, a question for Jim. Can Tim Burton comfortably retire on just the royalties from the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack? Because that thing is everywhere now. <sighs> I would love to be able to say yes, but remember that Nightmare Before Christmas only got made at Disney because Tim had made that uh, when he or, or had written the original proposal for this half hour long TV special mm -hmm. uh, when he was still working uh, at, at uh, Walt Disney Animation. You know, oh, he, so when, he was an employee? He was oh. an employee. You know, so, you know, I'm sorry, you know, most of the money that's made off of Nightmare goes straight into uh, Disney's coffers. In fact, I have been told repeatedly that that Disney has gone to uh, to Burton looking for a sequel, and you know, and it's just the effect of no, you you guys have enough of my money, you know, just sort <laughs> so, of like. Yeah. You know. <laughs> can, can can you make a sequel using the same terms under the first movie? Ah, uh, you know, I'm busy that week. There we go. There we go. Last week we read an email from Nick, who works at the Orlando Science Center. Uh, about the dinosaurs that Disney donated to the center years ago from the Animal Kingdom. And our intrepid field reporter, Christina, visited the Orlando Science Center this week and said the dinosaurs are indeed fantastic. And she even met Nick, who is a oh. star in his own right. So thank you, Nick, for that. Very, very cool. Okay. Also, on uh, last week's show, uh, Jim, we talked about how Disney once considered a Christmas-themed attraction in the UK Pavilion based on the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. And Asim sent in uh, a Muppets Christmas Carol meme in which Ebenezer Screws open the window, uh, opens a window on Christmas morning and shouts, You there, boy, what's the price of Genie Plus at the Magic Kingdom today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Asim. Uh, that's my Christmas card for next year. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Okay. Totally okay. Be it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim gives us the history of Shrunken Ned's Junior Jungle Boats in Adventureland. We'll be right back. Welcome to 2024. So what's your resolution for the new year? Mine, to be honest, is to tidy up, both here at the house and as well as out there in the digital realm. And toward that end, man, it is so easy to get a digital subscription going, whether it's for a streaming service or for a magazine or a newspaper. I mean, just yesterday, Nancy signed up for a full year of New York magazine largely because they do all sorts of articles about the Hallmark movies, and Nancy does love her Hallmark hunks. Anyway, we were talking about setting up digital subscriptions, which sometimes we then forget about, and you'd be amazed how quickly the monthly charges that are associated with those things can start to add up. That's why I'm so glad I've got Rocket Money. 
Rocket Money is the personal finance app that finds and cancels your wanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills. And what's really great about Rocket Money is, well, I can now see all of my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with just a tap. I mean, imagine that. You never have to get on the phone with customer service ever again. I just hate the runaround you get from those guys, the hours that you have to spend on hold while listening to that music and repeatedly hearing that message, your call is important to us. If my call was really so important to you guys, why do we then have to spend 20 minutes waiting on hold? Wouldn't you honestly prefer saving money to wasting time? Then let me point out here, Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Dish. That's rocketmoney.com slash Dish. One more time, for those of you who maybe got a little too happy at this year's New Year's Eve party, rocketmoney.com slash Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. And we're back. All right, Jim. We've had a few new things pop up in Walt Disney World this year, and we've had a few things go away as well. We remember the big things, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think about it. You know, that you go on, you and your family go on vacation to Walt Disney World. And of course, you, you remember the first time you ride I, the brand new thrower ride like Tron Light Cycle Run. Yep. Or, I, you know, I, I, we, we talk about the, you know, just a few minutes ago about the brand new nighttime show over at Epcot, Luminous, the Symphony of Us. But, mm-hmm. um, but what's interesting, at least to me, is, is as time passes, it, it's the smaller things that happen on your trip that, that now start to seem important. I mean, you know, for example, you know, think about hanging out on the balcony at some place like Bay Lake Tower with a cup of coffee. Family's still asleep, and yep. but you're the one out there watching the monorails roll by and the boats, you know, glide along, you know, Seven Seas Lagoon. Oh yeah. Uh, or, you know, when your dad surprised you and sprang for one of those oversized balloons on Main Street USA, or or when you and your brother uh, competed against one another in Adventure Land as you played Shrunken Ned's Junior Jungle Boat game. Ugh, I spent many a dollar there, Jim. Many a dollar. Well, no, that's, that's the thing. That, that's why we're going to talk about this today, because even though it's been closed for more than 11 years now, uh, it, it was actually torn out in September of 2012 to... Make room for more stroller parking for, for folks who were queuing up for the Jungle Cruise. Shrunken Ned's Junior Jungle Boat uh, still has a lot of fans who, it, it turns out, will pay a pretty penny to get that chunk of their childhood back. So how did Shrunken Ned's Junior Jungle Boat come to be built in Adventureland at the Magic Kingdom? This story actually starts out on the West Coast, not at Disneyland Park, mind you, land, but rather at the Disneyland Hotel in the late 1960s. Now, we actually did a three-part or a four-part series last year about uh, the Disneyland Hotel. And you folks may recall Len and I talking about the seaports of the Pacific. Right, yes, yeah. Yeah, and this is when uh, Jack Rather, who owned and operated the Disneyland Hotel at the time, uh, he took that area at the centermost part of the hotel, the, the, the... the space between the marina, the Sierra, and the Bonita Towers, and turned it into a maritime-themed entertainment complex. And we talked 
at length about this lens, so we're not going to go into the details. There was like a boat show or something, like a, oh, a, a huge yeah. boat show. Yeah, I mean, that's what you do when you go to the, the, the Disneyland Hotel. You know, you you want to be able to take some time to, to price a 40-foot cabin cruiser, you know, uh, which, by the way, is parked in the pool at the center of the, you know, the hotel. Sure. Um, but I, again, the whole idea well, here was that Jack was creating an area, uh, you know, an entertainment complex because remember, this is still the time when Disneyland during the off season is closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. And, and Jack was looking for ways to keep people at the hotel. So one of the ways that he kept people at the hotel was the remote controlled tugboat game. Now, the idea here was that you could pump a couple of quarters into a freestanding console that had a ship's wheel and a throttle, which then gave guests control over one of 22 miniature tugboats that operated in a pool at the hotel. And This sounds remarkably familiar, Jim. And, and these things were good size, by the way, Len. They were 34 inches long, 16 inches wide, and 11 inches tall. And guests could then steer them around a scale model of the Queen Mary, which, by the way, Jack Rather also owned and operated. Uh, that was down in Long Beach Harbor. And again, just a fun 10 or 15 minutes, you know, a, a way to kill time at the hotel. All right. Anyway, January of 1988, the Walt Disney Company buys the 84 acres around Disneyland Park that the Rather Corporation owns. And this includes the Disneyland Hotel. Uh, Michael Eisner goes over and does a walkthrough. Uh, because, you know, his goal is to have them change the Disneyland Hotel into a more Walt Disney World-like resort. Okay, makes sense, sure. But while he's there, Michael sees the tugboat game and just offhandedly asks somebody at the hotel, you know, well, how much does that make? And it's like, it makes that much? <laughs> <laughs> these these precious precious boats wait like, yeah. how much do they rip those things out how much can they possibly make oh these precious precious boats well, <laughs> exactly. okay so but again you know eisner much like walt never forgets anything okay so we, we jump to the mid 1990s and this is when the walt disney company has decided that all aspects of that corporation now have to become profit centers, mm. which is tough to do when you're yeah. a place like Adventureland at the Magic Kingdom. And yeah, you got rides and shows like the Jungle Cruise, Pirates of the Caribbean, Sunshine Pavilion, and, and the Swift Family Treehouse, but these are old established businesses. And, yeah. you know, the company is now looking for new revenue streams to the park. And Adventureland Plaza has a surprising amount of open, undeveloped real estate. This, wait, wait, for example, wait, wait, this? This is, Mid-90s. we want to talk 95. Okay, all right. all right. So we're we're pre-Magic uh, Carpets of Aladdin. There we go. All right, that doesn't open till May of 2001. Okay. Uh, but on the other hand, Michael Eisner remembers the tugboat game that he saw during his walkthrough at the Disneyland Hotel in January of 88 and supposedly suggests to the Imagineers that, can we do a Jungle Cruise-themed version of that? And now, interesting part of the storyline, the Imagineers design... Trunken Ned's Junior Jungle Boat Cruise, but they didn't fabricate it. That work was farmed out to a company called Cinnabar, Florida, which was and still is an Orlando-based company based on McLeod Road that describes itself as a full-service provider to the entertainment industry, including theme parks, television shows, and ads, movies, museums, and other special venues. We bring your creativity to reality. Oh, 
Cinnabar. I haven't heard of them. That's one of the reasons I wanted to shine the spotlight on them because they're the ones who ultimately made this beloved, you know, think of the part. So okay. Cinnabar takes the Imagineers' designs and then creates this surprisingly sturdy setup right next to the exit of the Jungle Cruise, which, by the way, is kind of the ingenious part of Shrunken Ned's junior jungle boats. So it's the first thing a guests see once they get off of the Jungle Cruise. And if they enjoy that experience and want to extend their Jungle Cruise fun, well, it just takes a handful of tokens. On the other hand, if you're a family member who's like, eh, I don't want to do the Jungle Cruise, you know, so everybody else gets on the boat, you're stuck in the area, it's like, oh, there's this thing. All right, I, you know, I take some money over to the machine and you couldn't just pump quarters into this thing. You know, you had to put a dollar or five dollars into the machine and then it spit out tokens that you could then feed into it. Right. So they got people basically coming and going. And it's, it, I won't lie, this is basically a copy of the tugboat game at the Disneyland Hotel. Each radio-controlled boat was steered by a ship's wheel that, that stood in a council facing that, the small pool where the, the junior jungle cruise boats puddled around in. By the way, love the sign for this adventure land attraction. It's basically four skulls piled on top of one another on top of a life preserver that says, you know, junior <laughs> the life preserver makes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, it's just, but again, it took two tokens to play, and you then had your choice of 16 different control stations facing the tiny pool. Yep. And like I said, there was a ship's wheel and a throttle. And for, for each one of them, yeah, all 16. There we them. go. And you knew which one, you know, you, there was a number on the council that corresponded to an individual boat that was on the water. And was, you know, very easy to get the hang of. Uh, yeah. Adults and kids enjoyed junior jungle cru uh, boats. Also, very profitable. So profitable, in fact, Len, that the Disneyland Hotel, which had ripped out its tugboat game as part of the Disneyfication of that hotel. I mean, this was when the uh, Marina, Sierra, and Bonita Towers became the fantasy, adventure, and frontier wings of that resort. Um, they actually revisit this idea in the 1990s. So December of 99, the Safari Adventure, which was subtitled A Remote Jungle Cruise, opened at the Disneyland Hotel along with the Lost Bar. I have to say, this version was somewhat more elaborate than the one built at the Magic Kingdom in Florida. And by the way, this was built by a different company, Thola Productions, rather than Cinnabar. Uh, had a beautiful uh, miniature recreation of the Jungle Cruise building at Disneyland right at Water's Edge. And lots of, honestly, cool effects like an elephant that sprayed water out of its trunk to extinguish a fire. Likewise, a, a fierce gorilla that guarded a rope suspension bridge. And Yeah. One of the things I remember about this ride is that it had interactive elements. So like oh, yeah. if, you, if you steered your boat through the series of obstacles... Mm -hmm. At least in Florida, you could make things happen like a volcano erupt and, uh, and other go. things. Yeah. Around. And it's it sort of uh, predates mm -hmm. or is a con a contemporaneous to you know the first attempts at uh, Kim Possible World Showcase Adventure, where you could actually control things in the park yeah. you know, by doing something. Yeah. Also, the uh, the boats could go backwards, which was super useful. Uh, well, uh, again, that it was just so intuitive. I mean, you had your ship's wheel and your throttle yep. that you could toggle back and forth. I mean, and again, you know, just it only took a, a couple of minutes of of doing that, where it's like, oh, okay, I I know what to do here. But long story short, it 
just five to ten minutes out of your day at the Magic Kingdom, but it made a big For a couple bucks, yeah. It was fun. But again, all good things must come to an end. Uh, the Disneyland Hotel version of this attraction, again, that was the Safari Adventure, that closed in 2010, so the Lost Bar could then be transformed into Trader Sam's Enchanted Tiki Bar. Okay, I mean, and we understand that move from a revenue perspective, right? Because Trader Sam's prints money. Oh God, God, yeah, and and don't get me wrong, you know that the 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 Safari Adventure with with the sale of those tokens did well, but not not alcohol well, <laughs> not alcohol well. Yeah, okay. okay, all right. Whereas the original in Orlando, Shrunken Ned's Junior Jungle Boats, that closed September of 2012. Well, that was largely because the thinking at the time was the theme parks needed to do more to capitalize on Disney's then thriving Pirates of the Caribbean film franchise, which is why the Pirates Adventure Treasure of the Seven Seas interactive game went live in Adventureland of the Magic Kingdom in May of 2013. Uh, That featured, what, five different treasure hunts around the land? Around the land, yeah. And it uh, it definitely disperses people around and gives them something to do. The the thing that I'm a little bit surprised about, Jim, Mm -hmm. is that Disney would take out a revenue-generating thing Mm -hmm. for something that's free, which is Mm -hmm. what a Pirate's Adventure is. Well, now, where this gets interesting is it was kind of, Two bites of the same apple. I mean, you're right. The Pirate's Adventure Treasure of the Seven Seas uh, was a freebie. But also remember what else, you know, they did there, which is they actually took a a good chunk of the tiny little pool that Junior Jungle Boats operated in and turned that into stroller parking. Right. They pushed out that little landing by uh, Jungle Cruise to, to make the stroller parking. So they got two things for one. And remember, we had also in between that time, we had built the flying carpets of Agrabah. Right. Previously, there had been plenty of room for stroller parking, and now suddenly uh, that space was at a premium. Oh, got it. Okay, so the the addition of magic carpets got rid of the stroller parking. Okay, that makes sense. All right. But anyway, you know, what's the line from the Joni Mitchell song, Big Yellow Taxi? They they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. That's what basically happened. They paved shrunken nids and put up a parking lot. See ya. There we go. Okay, so again, Junior Jungle Boats in Orlando and uh, Safari Adventure in Anaheim, relatively short-lived, but again, still fondly remembered. In fact, the kids who played these games on vacationing at Walt Disney World or while staying at the Disneyland Hotel are now paying big bucks to reclaim this part of their childhood land. For example, Control Council with a ship's wheel and throttle. By the way, on the other side, uh, it reads, Jungle Expedition Skipper Training. Established 1854, and by the way, for years now, people have been debating, you know, well, what's the significance of the 1854? That's evidently when Stanley went looking for Livingston. Oh, so it's an actual historical reference. That's fantastic. But anyway, um, one of these recently came up for auction. Len, the starting bid was $1,500, and it was expected, given the fierce competition for them, it would go for at least $5,000. Wow. More to the point, there was an episode in season 15 of Pawn Stars where someone came into the... I remember this. I remember this. There we go. Okay. Okay. So so you could walk us through here. So somebody walks into the world famous gold and silver pawn shop. And they had one of Shrunken Ned's junior jungle boats, right? They did. They did. I forget which park it was from. I want to say he was talking that it seemed to be this one was from the Safari Adventure ride at the Disneyland Hotel, but... Rick Harrison, 
uh, as he always does, brings in an expert to to evaluate this piece of Disney animal. But what I love, Len, is they then take the boat to one of the hotels on the Las Vegas Strip and drop it in the pool. <laughs> yeah, because their own pools aren't going to be good enough. They need to bring it to a to a Vegas casino pool. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, what I love is you look in the background and there's somebody who's been overserved the evening before, so I'm like, you know, dead in a lounge. As they test the boat in the pool there. <laughs> and it worked, right? If I recall oh, correctly, God, it worked. It, yeah, it, yeah. it worked beautifully. I mean, you know, the rudder worked. It could go forward. It could go backwards. It zoomed through the pool. And so it was like, you know, the expert was like, oh, you know, Rick, just, you know, this thing is worth at least $7,000. And of course, Rick being Rick immediately turns to the person who's looking to pawn. I'll give you says, 25 cents. <laughs> there we go. Best I can do I, is a dollar and a half. <laughs> well, I, I think Rick's opening offer was 4000 and that they eventually got it up to 4300 Which still, I mean, I wonder what Disney paid for those things. But $4,300 for a working piece of Disney in-park memorabilia, especially something as big as that, yep. that's not a bad price. Now, speaking of which, if you want to see one of these things in real life today, you can go to the Skipper Cantina at the Magic Kingdom in Florida. And if you look among the artifacts that are on display in this restaurant, right. you will find the Molopole Marie, which will give you some idea how, you know, actually big these junior jungle boats actually were. Right. Now, as for shrunken Ned himself, who, by the way, his full name was supposedly Colonel Nedley Lostmore, um, he lives on, sort of as a totem inside of Trader Sam's Grog Grotto at Disney's Polynesian Village Resort. Really? Yeah. And, and in fact, as I understand it, this item there in the bar uh, was created by Imagineer Brandon Kalen. Uh, Kalen, excuse me. And in, in fact, I think Brandon actually did the voice of the colonel. <laughs> so you know, I, we have to Why check not? this out. It's, again, I've never been able to actually physically make it into the Grog Grotto. I'm always sent out to the patio, but someday I'm going to get in there and see this thing. There you go. By the way, if you ask Disneyland fans, they'll tell you that they preferred their version of Shrunken Ned, who used to live in a fortune-telling machine that was located in the South Seas Trader Store at that theme park. Imagineer Eddie Sato designed this machine. This was kind of a tribute to... You remember the pirate red thing that was in the exit of the Disneyland's Pirates of the right. Caribbean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fortune red? Yeah. Yeah, well, this was in that style. You know, you'd pump a few quarters in, and this was supposed to be the jungle's only self-serve witch doctor. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you, you could get one of 12 cards that sort of told your fortune. And by the way, this is another one of the artifacts you can find if you look carefully at the displays inside of Skipper Cantina, uh, on one of the bulletin boards there is one of, I guess, instead of uh, fortune cards, they called them prescription cards that Shrunken Ned used to dispense uh, from that machine. So I should take a picture of it and bring it to CVS and see what happens? I, I there think we that, go. That, there that's we what go. I'm hearing, Jim. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay. They love that right there at the I'm, counter. I'm like, sure. I'm sure. Okay. But again, look, folks, we're not talking about the biggest and grandest attraction at the Disney parks here, but... Again, based on the prices the theme park fans are willing to pay to own a chunk of, of Shrunken Ned's Junior Jungle Boats or, or the Safari Venture, it, it's clearly still fondly uh, remembered and, and missed to this day. Oh, fantastic story. Thank you, Jim, for doing that. I appreciate it. I can't tell you the, the number of times stood there and watched people, you know, drive boats into the spears. You know, it's just sort of like... <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I miss it to this day every time I walk by. Yeah, I, I get that. So. All right, folks. That's going to do it for our show today. 
You can help support our show by subscribing over at patreon.com slash Media, where we're posting exclusive shows every week. Our latest show is behind-the-scenes stories, photos, and video from the construction of Disney MGM Studios from Imagineer Jim Scholl, who was there during the whole thing. Check it out at patreon.com slash Media. On next week's show, Jim tells us the history of California Screamin' at Disney California Adventure. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced spectacularly by Eric Hersey, who'll be astrally projecting himself to the 2024 Iowa Metaphysical Fair beginning Saturday, May 18th, 2024 at the Iowa State Fairgrounds just off Grand Avenue in beautiful downtown Des Moines, Iowa. While Eric's doing that, please go on to iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.